Section 11 of The Story of My Life, Part 2, Letters, by Helen Keller and John Albert Macy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 11, Letters 88 through 95. Letter 88 to Mr. William Wade, Boston, February 19th, 1899. Why, bless you, I thought I wrote to you the day after the Eclogues arrived and told you how glad I was to have them. Perhaps you never got that letter. At any rate, I thank you, dear friend, for taking such a world of trouble for me. You will be glad to hear that the books from England are coming now. I already have the seventh and eighth books of the Aeneid, and one book of the Iliad, all of which is most fortunate, as I have come almost to the end of my embossed textbooks. It gives me great pleasure to hear how much is being done for the deaf-blind. The more I learn of them, the more kindness I find. Why, only a little while ago people thought it quite impossible to teach the deaf-blind anything. But no sooner was it proved possible than hundreds of kind, sympathetic hearts were fired with a desire to help them, and now we see how many of those poor, unfortunate persons are being taught to see the beauty and reality of life. Love always finds its way to an imprisoned soul and leads it out into the world of freedom and intelligence. As to the two-handed alphabet, I think it is much easier for those who have sight than the manual alphabet for most of the letters look like the large capitals in books. But I think when it comes to teaching a deaf-blind person to spell, the manual alphabet is much more convenient and less conspicuous. Letter 89 to Mrs. Lawrence Hutton, 12 Newbury Street, Boston, March 5, 1899. I am now sure that I shall be ready for my examinations in June. There is but one cloud in my sky at present, but that is one which casts a dark shadow over my life and makes me very anxious at times. My teacher's eyes are no better. Indeed, I think they grow more troublesome, though she is very brave and patient and will not give up. But it is most distressing to me to feel that she is sacrificing her sight for me. I feel as if I ought to give up the idea of going to college altogether, for not all the knowledge in the world can make me happy if obtained at such a cost. I do wish, Mrs. Hutton, you would try to persuade teacher to take a rest and have her eyes treated. She will not listen to me. I have just had some pictures taken, and if they are good, I would like to send one to Mr. Rogers, if you think he would like to have it. I would like so much to show him in some way how deeply I appreciate all that he is doing for me, and I cannot think of anything better to do. Everyone here is talking about the sergeant pictures. It is a wonderful exhibition of portraits, they say. How I wish I had eyes to see them! How I should delight in their beauty and color! However, I am glad that I am not debarred from all pleasure in the pictures." I have at least the satisfaction of seeing them through the eyes of my friends, which is a real pleasure. I am so thankful that I can rejoice in the beauties which my friends gather and put into my hands. We are all so glad and thankful that Mr. Kipling did not die. 
I have his jungle book in Ray's print, and what a splendid, refreshing book it is. I cannot help feeling as if I knew its gifted author. What a real, manly, lovable nature his must be. Letter 90 to Dr. David H. Greer, 12 Newbury Street, Boston, May 8, 1899. Each day brings me all that I can possibly accomplish, and each night brings me rest, and the sweet thought that I am a little nearer to my goal than ever before. My Greek progresses finely. I have finished the ninth book of the Iliad, and am just beginning the Odyssey. I am also reading the Aeneid and the Eclogues. Some of my friends tell me that I am very foolish to give so much time to Greek and Latin, but I am sure they would not think so if they realized what a wonderful world of experience and thought Homer and Virgil have opened up to me. I think I shall enjoy the Odyssey most of all. The Iliad tells of almost nothing but war, and one sometimes wearies of the clash of spears and the din of battle. But the Odyssey tells of nobler courage, the courage of a soul sore tried, but steadfast to the end. I often wonder, as I read these splendid poems, why, at the same time that Homer's songs of war fired the Greeks with valor, his songs of manly virtue did not have a stronger influence upon the spiritual life of the people. Perhaps the reason is that thoughts truly great are like seeds cast into the human mind, and either lie there unnoticed, or are tossed about and played with like toys, until, grown wise through suffering and experience, a race discovers and cultivates them. Then the world has advanced one step in its heavenward march. I am working very hard just now. I intend to take my examinations in June, and there is a great deal to be done before I shall feel ready to meet the ordeal. You will be glad to hear that my mother and little sister and brother are coming north to spend this summer with me. We shall all live together in a small cottage on one of the lakes at Rentham, while my dear teacher takes a much-needed rest. She has not had a vacation for twelve years, think of it, and all that time she has been the sunshine of my life. Now her eyes are troubling her a great deal, and we all think she ought to be relieved for a while of every care and responsibility. But we shall not be quite separated. We shall see each other every day, I hope. And when July comes, you can think of me as rowing my dear ones around the lovely lake in the little boat you gave me, the happiest girl in the world. Letter 91 to Mrs. Lawrence Hutton Boston, May 28, 1899. We have had a hard day. Mr. Keith was here for three hours this afternoon, pouring a torrent of Latin and Greek into my poor bewildered brain. I really believe he knows more Latin and Greek grammar than Cicero or Homer ever dreamed of. Cicero is splendid, but his orations are very difficult to translate. I feel ashamed sometimes when I make that eloquent man say what sounds absurd or insipid. But how is a schoolgirl to interpret such genius? Why, I should have to be a Cicero to talk like a Cicero. Linny Hogwood is a deaf-blind girl, one of many whom Mr. William Wade has helped. She is being educated by Miss Dora Donald, who, at the beginning of her work with her pupil, was supplied by Mr. Hitz, superintendent of the Volta Bureau, 
with copies of all documents relating to Miss Sullivan's work with Miss Keller. Letter 92 to Mr. William Wade, Wrentham, Massachusetts, June 5, 1899. Linny Haygood's letter, which you sent me some weeks ago, interested me very much. It seemed to show spontaneity and great sweetness of character. I was a good deal amused by what she said about history. I am sorry she does not enjoy it. But I too feel sometimes how dark and mysterious and even fearful the history of old peoples, old religions, and old forms of government really is. Well, I must confess I do not like the sign language, and I do not think it would be of much use to the deaf-blind. I find it very difficult to follow the rapid motions made by the deaf-mutes, and besides, signs seem a great hindrance to them in acquiring the power of using language easily and freely. Why, I find it hard to understand them sometimes when they spell on their fingers. On the whole, if they cannot be taught articulation, the manual alphabet seems the best and most convenient means of communication. At any rate, I am sure the deaf-blind cannot learn to use signs with any degree of facility. The other day I met a deaf Norwegian gentleman who knows Ragenheild Kata and her teacher very well, and we had a very interesting conversation about her. He said she was very industrious and happy. She spins and does a great deal of fancy work and reads and leads a pleasant, useful life. Just think, she cannot use the manual alphabet. She reads the lips well, and if she cannot understand a phrase, her friends write it in her hand, and in this way she converses with strangers. I cannot make out anything written in my hand, so you see, Ragenheild has got ahead of me in some things. I do hope I shall see her sometime. Letter 93 to Mrs. Lawrence Hutton Wrentham, July 29, 1899 I passed in all the subjects I offered, and with credit in advance Latin. But I must confess I had a hard time on the second day of my examinations. They would not allow teacher to read any of the papers to me, so the papers were copied for me in Braille. This arrangement worked very well in the languages, but not nearly so well in the mathematics. Consequently, I did not do so well as I should have done if teacher had been allowed to read the algebra and geometry to me. But you must not think I blame anyone. Of course, they did not realize how difficult and perplexing they were making the examinations for me. How could they? They can see and hear, and I suppose they could not understand matters from my point of view. Thus far my summer has been sweeter than anything I can remember. My mother and sister and little brother have been here five weeks, and our happiness knows no bounds. Not only do we enjoy being together, but we also find our little home most delightful. I do wish you could see the view of the beautiful lake from our piazza, the islands looking like little emerald peaks in the golden sunlight, and the canoes flitting here and there, like autumn leaves in the gentle breeze, and breathe in the peculiarly delicious fragrance of the woods, which comes like a murmur from an unknown clime. I cannot help wondering if it is the same fragrance that greeted the Norsemen long ago, when, according to tradition, they visited our shores— an odorous echo of many centuries of silent growth and decay in flower and tree. Letter 94 
to Mrs. Samuel Richard Fuller, Rentham, October 20th, 1899. I suppose it is time for me to tell you something about our plans for the winter. You know it has long been my ambition to go to Radcliffe and receive a degree, as many other girls have done. But Dean Irwin of Radcliffe has persuaded me to take a special course for the present. She said I had already shown the world that I could do the college work by passing all my examinations successfully, in spite of many obstacles. She showed me how very foolish it would be for me to pursue a four years course of study at Radcliffe, simply to be like other girls, when I might better be cultivating whatever ability I had for writing. She said she did not consider a degree of any real value, but thought it was much more desirable to do something original than to waste one's energies only for a degree. Her argument seemed so wise and practical that I could not but yield. I found it hard, very hard, to give up the idea of going to college. It had been in my mind ever since I was a little girl. But there is no use doing a foolish thing, because one has wanted to do it a long time, is there? But while we were discussing plans for the winter, a suggestion which Dr. Hale had made long ago flashed across teacher's mind, that I might take courses somewhat like those offered at Radcliffe, under the instruction of the professors in these courses. Miss Irwin seemed to have no objection to this proposal, and kindly offered to see the professors and find out if they would give me lessons. If they will be so good as to teach me, and if we have money enough to do as we have planned, my studies this year will be English, English literature of the Elizabethan period, Latin, and German. Letter 95 to Mr. John Hitz 138 Brattle Street, Cambridge, November 11th, 1899. As to the Braille question, I cannot tell how deeply it distresses me to hear that my statement with regard to the examinations has been doubted. Ignorance seems to be at the bottom of all these contradictions. Why, you yourself seem to think that I taught you American Braille when you do not know a single letter in the system. I could not help laughing when you said you had been writing to me in American Braille, and there you were writing your letter in English Braille. The facts about the Braille examinations are as follows. How I pass my entrance examinations for Radcliffe College. On the 29th and 30th of June, 1899, I took my examinations for Radcliffe College. The first day I had elementary Greek and advanced Latin, and the second day geometry, algebra, and advanced Greek. The college authorities would not permit Miss Sullivan to read the examination papers to me. So Mr. Eugene C. Vining, one of the instructors at the Perkins Institution for the Blind, was employed to copy the papers for me in Braille. Mr. Vining was a perfect stranger to me and could not communicate with me except by writing in Braille. The proctor also was a stranger and did not attempt to communicate with me in any way, and as they were both unfamiliar with my speech, they could not readily understand what I said to them. However, the Braille worked well enough in the languages, but when it came to geometry and algebra, it was different. I was sorely perplexed and felt quite discouraged, and wasted much precious time, especially in algebra. It is true that I am perfectly familiar with all literary Braille, English, American, and New York Point, 
but the method of writing the various signs used in geometry and algebra in the three systems is very different, and two days before the examinations I knew only the English method. I had used it all through my schoolwork, and never any other system. In geometry, my chief difficulty was that I had always been accustomed to reading the propositions in line print or having them spelled into my hand. And somehow, although the propositions were right before me, yet the braille confused me, and I could not fix in my mind clearly what I was reading. But when I took up algebra, I had a harder time still. I was terribly handicapped by my imperfect knowledge of the notation. The signs which I had learned the day before, and which I thought I knew perfectly, confused me. Consequently, my work was painfully slow, and I was obliged to read the examples over and over before I could form a clear idea of what I was required to do. Indeed, I am not sure now that I read all the signs correctly, especially as I was much distressed and found it very hard to keep my wits about me. Now there is one more fact which I wish to state very plainly in regard to what Mr. Gilman wrote to you. I never received any direct instruction in the Gilman School. Miss Sullivan always sat beside me and told me what the teacher said. I did teach Miss Hall, my teacher in physics, how to write the American Braille, but she never gave me any instruction by means of it, unless a few problems written for practice, which made me waste much precious time deciphering them, can be called instruction. Dear Frau Grota learned the manual alphabet and used to teach me herself, but this was in private lessons, which were paid for by my friends. In the German class, Miss Sullivan interpreted to me as well as she could what the teacher said. Perhaps if you would send a copy of this to the head of the Cambridge School, it might enlighten his mind on a few subjects, on which he seems to be in total darkness just now. End of section 11